Welcome to Dig and Dive with David, where curiosity is learning. Thank you for joining today. If you like the show, please share and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now presenting your host, David Dan Singh. Hello, folks. Uh, Happy Labor Day for the people here in Canada and in the U.S. I'm very excited uh, about today's episode. Uh, where we have a lot to discuss and share with you about fossils and dinosaurs. So if you're uh, the dinosaur enthusiast uh, like me and you don't want to miss uh, you don't want to miss this episode and please make sure to share this with your friends and family. Uh, Alina Iskandrova is a scientist paleontologist uh, who focuses on integrating IT technologies for discoveries of fossils uh, located in the U- United States and around the world. She also has a startup a campaign called the Museum Traveler, uh, where she travels with her team to this, uh, with her team to museums around the world and share about natural history, wildlife, and science. Alina, I'm so honored to have you on the show, and uh, thank you for accepting the invite, and congratulations once again, once again for your startup. Hi, David. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Um, let's start from your beginnings, uh, where you're from, your education and how you got into paleontology. When did your interest first uh, develop in, uh, paleontology? Um, so my, um, background is in computer science and engineering. I got my degree in Russia, so I was born there. Uh, my dad is Bashkirian, my mom is Russian, so I mixed off to races, to ethnic groups. Um, I got my interest probably when I turned four or five years old. I remember we had so many encyclopedias at home and I was just browsing and was looking for Paleozoic. Um, I think there were, there were a couple of pictures of trilobites and I just got hooked. Like what, what are these creatures? And I started digging around the house, in the backyard, like everywhere. I was bringing home some half decayed animals and my parents were just like embarrassed. Oh my gosh, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very interesting. Um, did you did you have any um, when when did your interest uh, first develop in paleontology? Was it the early years when you were at home as a kid, or yeah? So I was learning and studying paleontology as a self self education since I turned five. So I was reading, I was going to the library, I was taking courses. Um, but my parents highly advised me to pursue my career in computer science. And probably it was the right decision for me at that time. Um, so that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, did you did you have any professionals or family members who served as role models when you were younger? Do you still have any now? Oh yeah, absolutely. My parents. Uh, my father, my dad, is physicist, so he has tons of patents and inventions in physics and nuclear physics, quantum physics, microelectronics. So, yeah, I, I was totally exposed to discoveries and science debates. My mom, she's a brilliant computer science developer. And uh, when she was in her 20s and 30s, she was an avid traveler. She was traveling around everywhere. Wow, that sounds uh, very interesting. Um Was there anything you did or learned as you were on your way to your current career? that you feel uh, got to you where you are today? Uh, By this, I mean any sort of field experience, maybe a networking class or something like that. 
So I have quite an interesting, unusual story, how I entered the field of paleontology. I Because um, you graduated in uh, computer science, right? Yeah, and I was working, so I finished my career in IT as a project manager. Quite, quite different, so it's like nothing in comparison to paleontology. Um, I uh, During the COVID, I started my paleontology blog on Instagram, and it became pretty popular. I started talking to different people, and they got interest in um, my science communication skills. So I decided just, um, okay, so maybe this is the right time to switch my career because this is what I'm interested in, really. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you think that uh, when you got into paleontology, do you think this is going to be like a full-time career for you? Uh, so right now it is a full-time career for me, yes. It was um, probably half a year of transition, but yes, right now yeah. it's a full-time that's very good to hear. Uh, what is, uh, I'd like to know, and for the people and for our audience, what is your favorite book of all time? I knew you would ask that. I'm a huge book nerd, so I brought a couple books. Um, probably one of my favorite is Richard Forty, The Trilobite. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the best book um, about the evolution, um, about the how life evolved and like, this one is The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs by Steve Brissetti. He's one of my favorite authors, honestly. Yes. Um, the best science communicator. He can write textbooks. I have also The Dinosaur Paleobiology by him. Uh, it's a technical book with a lot of anatomical details, but you can like read it in any age and like any levels. So it's yeah. quite understandable. He can bring science to everybody in the best way. Yeah, for sure. No, um, the Rise and the Fall of Dinosaurs, I'm reading that too. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't have a physical book, but I'm uh, listening to that on audiobooks. It is a great read, uh, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and I only uh, got hooked into that when you, uh, uh, I think you posted about this uh, on your Instagram. And I was like, you know, this is something I have to get my um, hands into to understand about the mm -hmm. rise and fall of dinosaurs. Uh, interesting. It not only talks about dinosaurs, it talks about, um, uh, uh, you know, other um, prehistoric uh, creatures and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, love it. Um, yeah, so you're a scientist. Uh, could you uh, could you tell, could you walk us through your day at work? Uh, all my days are different. So as you're following me on Instagram, you probably know that I travel a lot. Uh, I do photogrammetry, so this is converting fossils, track sites, into 3D models. So usually I start my day pretty early, like 7 a.m. I go to the site. Uh, I do a bunch of photos, depending on the size, of course. Um, then after like 5 p.m., I'm going back and I'm processing all the photos in the software on my laptop. So something like that <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a very long day do you uh is do you t do you often uh visit uh sites or is it mostly outside or do you also have some admin work at uh, in the office um so it's half and half mm -hmm. so i try to do as much photogrammetry as possible yeah uh, unfortunately it's like really scientifically heartbreaking i have to admit that a lot of fossils when they are left in the field like tracks for example uh, they are eroding pretty fast oh wow of course depending on the lithology but for example the sandstone is affected the most and like within 10 years you can just lose all the depths and you can lose all the tracks 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they. Uh, I didn't know that uh, it is eroding really fast. Um, Very. Yeah. And uh, do you do a lot of field re- research and fossil findings? Do you have a, a particular interest in this branch prior to starting uh, your career in uh, photo- uh, f- photogrammetry, right? Uh, how did you choose it? I, I was always interested in computer science, which is explainable, right? Like 10 yeah. years in IT. Pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it was a smooth transition to bring some IT technologies and my expertise and experience into paleontology. Uh, I met my teacher, Nefra Matthews. So she's probably one of the most brilliant photogrammetrists in the United States. I admire her work. I was very lucky to... Uh, met her last year and she enrolled me into USGS photogrammetry class with all the great people who are doing aerial like drone photogrammetry and close range photogrammetry with a camera which is I'm uh, specializing in so probably yeah she she is the most influential person in my life in paleontology right now yeah, it's always uh, interesting uh, to have uh, people like that in your in your life. Uh, they're very motivating and they're always very inspirational. Uh, and you know you can get a lot of help uh, from them, especially your mentors. Uh, do you consider yeah, her as a mentor? I think I have a couple mentors. Uh, so Nefra Matthews is definitely my photogrammetry mother. She was raising, raising a baby photogrammetrist for two years almost. Uh, Dr. Paul Murphy is another mentor, so he taught me all the geology and stratigraphy and sedimentary, like everything, all my knowledge came from all the field experience we had together, starting from, oh, it's been, by the way, almost one year. Wow, that's uh, quite a time there. Um, Let's uh, let's jump into some of the basics here, and I wanted to know your opinion on this. uh, coming from the ex- expert, obviously. Uh, so could you tell me, um, could you give us uh, an idea of some of the basics of what mammals are, what is a mammal, and which anatomical characters uh, define them? Oh, that's a tricky question. I'm not really specialized in mammals, but I will try. So obviously, um, those are glands that produce milk. Uh, also, there is a... a three ears, internal ears. Um, I believe we have neocortex. This is the department of the brain which allowed us to develop language and this cool three-dimensional vision that we can just transform 2D to 3D in our mind, special thinking. Um, Also, this is hair or four, which is also obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, exactly what I uh, I was thinking, you know, uh, about mammals. Um, mammals. Which, for, yeah, go. Sorry, go ahead. Which is uh, really fascinating, at least to me. Um, mammals did evolve pretty much at the same time as the archosaurs. So it was in the Triassic period. Yeah, yeah. in the Triassic period. Yeah, yeah. On, um, on one of your posts, uh, you mentioned about one of the most important events in the history of Paleozoic era uh, called the Cambrian Explosion. Um, and I've read that so many times. Could you, mm-hmm. for the audience, could you uh, tell me about that? 
uh, so the Cambrian explosion happened 540 million, 40 million years ago. Uh, why it is so important? Because almost all the families we know today, like insects, um, crustaceans, um, so basically um, more uh, predators, by the way, all those groups of animals evolved during this time. And why it's an explosion? Because it happened pretty fast. So from the geological perspective, it's about like 10 to 25 million years. Yeah. So within this very short time, all the major groups of families evolved. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are we yeah. talking about uh, before the dinosaurs or are we talking post-dinosaurs? Oh, it was, it was way before. Way dinosaurs. before. Okay, for yes. sure. Way before um, dinosaurs. And can you give us an example of what type of insects or what type of uh, creatures, um, prehistoric animals uh, existed mm -hmm. during those times? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For example, worms and all the animals, invertebrates with the exoskeleton evolved during this time. We think that probably uh, the, the, the push uh, was an increase in the oxygen level. Uh, so the level of oxygen during the Cambrian time was pretty much at the same uh, percentage as today. Okay. Uh, and probably it gave a huge push to some... Um, so the presence of um, oxygen uh, pushes the process of metabolizing food. So it releases much more energy. Uh, we think that probably it gave uh, an opportunity to develop such um, like energy hungry and hungry innovations as muscles or um, um, exoskeletons or shells or teeth. The first predator evolved during this time. For example, animal acaris uh, was one of the apex predators. It had complex regions, um, a pretty developed brain. So I'm wondering if it went, it won't went extinct. So what will be today? <laughs> Yeah, this is a very uh, historic, uh, important event that occurred. Um, uh, I didn't know about the, the oxygen. Uh, you mentioned about the oxygen um, level uh, mm -hmm. as compared to today. Um, and was there was that a good thing for the mammals at that time or was it not a good thing? Oh, there were no mammals by that time. Oh, so sorry. Five, five, 540 million years ago. Um, it was almost ocean everywhere, and the most dominant life was trilobites. Mm. So um, mammals evolved 200 million years later. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, besides paleontology, what other, I'm just curious, what other sciences did you study? Um, well, I always love to challenge my brain, so I'm taking classes. Sometimes it's like super random. Uh, I, I took a class, cosmology class in uh, California technology. Um, I did the game theory from Stanford. I'm doing sometimes like MBA classes. So I, I really love to challenge myself. Wow, that's interesting. And obviously you're, uh, you have uh, you graduated from computer science um, and you did computer science as well. That is uh, also considered as science. <laughs> well. uh, maybe. Um, now, how do you determine, uh, Alina, where you should find for fossils? Um, how can you tell the difference between a rock and bone? Um, and how do you determine the species? Oh, 
okay, so um, let's start with where, where to look for fossils. So are you interested particularly in the dinosaurs or any fossils? Anything. Uh, it could be any fossil. Any fossils. So if we are looking, for example, to trilobites, so we have to look at the stratigraphy map. So all the rocks, they are three types of the rocks, like metamorphic, sedimentary, igneous. And of course, we have to look at the sedimentary rocks uh, of the particular age. Mm -hmm. uh, we can uh, use the Google Earth or some maps to probably mark the most potential sites. Uh, we can look at the outcrops. So those, those are like uh, number one way to look for fossils. Uh, but of course, if you're an amateur, you have to um, understand that not all places are allowed even to trespass or of, of course collect fossils. Uh, in the United States, in most states, you can collect uh, vertebrate fossils, including tracks. Is that the same? The most. Yeah. Is that the same uh, case for dinosaurs, uh, dinosaur fossils? Yes. Yeah, so dinosaurs, they are vertebrate fossils. So body fossils are prohibited. Uh, you can collect only under permit. And you can get a permit through the institution or your affiliation with the university or the museum. So all the fossils you are collecting should be stored somewhere. How do you uh, identify what species that belongs to? Well, that's that's a tricky question. So, for example, if if it's a mammal, the best way to identify it is just um, to look at the teeth. If it's a chip of the bone, for example, like um, like a teeny tiny, you can't even say what part of the body fossil was that. There is like no way to identify. Mm. So, so if if you were to find a piece of a, a tooth. Um, how would you identify that, you know, as um, one of the, or maybe, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. maybe an allosaurus or tyrannosaurus or any kind of um, prehistoric uh, creature? Uh, first of all, we look at the formation. So what formation was that? What animals lived during that time? And we look um, uh, at the size, size-wise, for example, Allosaurus, the Morrison formation. He was an apex predator. So we know if, if you see the tooth of a particular size of some theropod, most likely it, it is an Allosaur. Yeah, for sure. Um, with the climate being warmer, do you think animals are adapting to be more nocturnal or changing their behavior in hunting or fish, uh, you know, f feeding? Because uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, we obviously are, the climate is getting warmer. Do you, and oh, yeah. this might be uh, a, <laughs> this might be a debate for anyone, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, and for all the climate activists and cl climate people out there, what do you think? Are are the are animals adapting to the change, or you know there is another? They're heading to another extinction. Um, well, we are heading to the seventh mass extinction. There is, uh, I think, no question. So it is in. We are in the process. Um, if we are adapting to the nocturnal lifestyle, I don't think so, honestly. Um, it will take some anatomical features and it will take millions of years. And I don't think we have this time. So when we talk about, uh, you know, uh, adapting to uh, different uh, environments or, you know, feeding 
Um, so, for example, uh, an animal or a mammal that is always dependent, like uh, uh, for on daylight for hunting mammals, and because it's uh, the climate is just too different, um, and they cannot adapt, they choose to hunt or feed um, during uh, you know nighttime. Um, do you think? What's your opinion about that? Do you think it is uh, very common now and? So uh, I know, for example, lions, predators, um, they choose to hunt in the night, you know, uh, where their prey is, uh, they have less, uh, you know, uh, where it's easy for them. And, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they're most active during the night, even, even uh, tigers or any other cat we can look at. Has this uh, changed or has this always been like that before? Uh, I'm not specialized in mammals, so unfortunately I can't uh, talk about the cats and especially the modern animals. So as far as I know, if you hunt at night, so your vision should be adapted to um, to this uh, lifestyle and this yeah. type of behavior. And of course, your prey should be active during the night hours as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I believe there are just too many changes and it will take thousands of years to adapt to this anatomically and maybe less behaviorally yeah you said we are in that stage to that mass extinction mm -hmm. can you tell us a little can you tell me a, a little bit about that uh so as far as we can see a lot of uh, species are extinct already uh yeah. or on the blink blink of, of extinction and the pace is much higher than we even predicted five years ago so we are moving to a certain point of no return uh, the ice caps are melting so the green greenland won't be icy anymore which is exciting on one hand as a paleontologist i just want to really look what is there uh, but on the other hand it will it will change the way our earth our planet looks for example the rise of the ocean will trigger a lot of um, animals that live near the shore to went extinct. Mm -hmm. And with this extinction, so the food web will change. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Too bad. I mean, I mean, it sounds uh, it sounds like it is. It's not a good thing. Um, but I don't know. It could either be. Um, something you know uh, that could benefit the environment you never know I, uh, I don't think it can benefit no. the environment if uh, all the food sources will disappear it will uh, trigger the whole food web yeah to simply go extinct I mean if you don't have algae if you don't have um, uh, plant materials plankton and all of those like herbivores won't survive and the predators won't survive. So yeah. it, it, it triggers the whole chain to disappear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you do if you were not a paleontologist? Uh, what, would, what would be your other route? Oh, I really love boating. <laughs> Probably I will boat the planet and, I don't know, take, take a photograph. I love photography as well. Or maybe I will just still be doing the project management. It's not so fun. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I love uh, I love uh, boating too, but uh, 
It's just that uh, I haven't been in so many uh, boats. Uh, do you often uh, go on boat rides? Uh, yeah, I try to do it every week. Wow, wow, that's nice. That's interesting. What do you why boating? Uh, sorry, second. What why why do you did you choose boating? Um, it's very relaxing. I would say um, I can just focus on driving and uh, thinking. A lot of my posts are written by, by the way, like in my mind when I'm driving a boat. I'm just dictating and then just posting on social yeah. media. <laughs> so it's a it's a good thing because you are just closed in in, in a small environment. There is just nothing between you and the sea. Uh, you can explore a lot of islands, remote islands, and explore um, the fossils there. Just a couple of days ago, um, I think it was last week, uh, I was on very close to Canada. It's called a Sushi Island, and it's the only Cretaceous rocks in the Washington state. Uh, we found a theropod bone. I believe it was a leg bone there. So this is the only theropod from the Washington state. They're also beautiful ammonites and invertebrates. Wow. And uh, what island was that again? Sorry. Uh, it's a small island uh, in Friday Harbor. It's called the Sushi Island. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, interesting how fossils are all, all around us and we don't oh, even know. Everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's the biggest area about your role uh, you're very curious about? And uh, what are some of the things you're uh, you're working on and researching about right now? Uh, so I have a couple of big projects. Uh, one of them, Museum Traveler, as probably, you know. Uh, so this is a platform that will have all the museums as a virtual reality experience, plus all the videos uh, that I made in partnership with the educators and the curators, mm -hmm. directors of the museum. So it's, it is an opportunity for everybody to just go and experience the science and the museums. And you don't need to go and fly and just be in person there. Yeah, that's very awesome. I think that's a great idea uh, of what, uh, Thank you. what you're doing there. Uh, what is What was or is your favorite project in paleontology so far? Uh, would you tell me some of your could you share some of your current projects or yeah absolutely so i'm working on a conservation tracks conservation project um i i'm trying to do as as many 3d photogrammetry projects of the tracks that are left in the field so some sites unfortunately just like can't excavate and move to the museums there is no storage place or sometimes it's just like super huge or remote and yeah i mean not every fossil can be transported and stored under conditions uh, which will um, save it for the future research and studies. So I'm trying to preserve the knowledge uh, at least as a digital um, fossil or I mean with uh, photogrammetry you can definitely uh, preserve very accurately uh, all the depths and all the paces uh, and all the details of the track sites even if you don't know how to interpret it right now, uh, you can save it and you can study it later. Yeah, and I think as I mentioned before, yeah, so unfortunately tracks are eroding very fast. Yeah, uh, unfortunately that is uh, that is eroding very fast. 
because uh, of the age. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head uh, that uh, the only way to study these things is through pictures, right? Taking pictures. And I was reading one of your um, articles uh, uh, where uh, this has been, they've been doing this for so many years. And uh, it just uh, the best way to analyze or study these things is through uh, photographs uh, or something called, or the, or the term called uh, photogrammetry. Um, and I was sort of reading this article about about crocodilians where you had posted uh, about mm-hmm. crocodilians and uh, did did you uh, did you find crocodilian uh, crocodiles in that area of, when you took pictures or so it was a known site it was discovered in 1930s and then it was studied 11 years ago so Martin Walkley uh, published his paper on the site so he studied the tracks and he put all the explanations and by the way, when I was doing photogrammetry, Martin Walkley was at the site as well. Uh, what surprised me, nobody noticed um, how severe was the erosion. So I compared the results of my photogrammetry, I just measured the depth, and I compared it to the results of uh, 10, 11 years old studies, the, the photos and um, uh, the measurements in, in the Martin Walkley's paper. It went down from 12 millimeters in depth to three millimeters hmm. so this is the, this is a huge um erosion i would say so we we lost a lot yeah yeah for sure um with when you're on when you're in site uh, when you're working out in the field um obviously you have all uh you have a lot of computer to, uh, you know uh technology with you how do you sit down and uh, analyze? Is it uh, after your findings? Do you sit down uh, and analyze uh, mm-hmm. what you have found and you compare your pictures um, and you come out with a date that this is how fast it is eroding? And you know what I mean? Because how do you know that this is eroding so fast? That's a great question. So part of my uh, conservation project is to compare uh, the results with the previous photogrammetry. So for example, if the photogrammetry was done at that site, uh, let's say five years ago, we can compare the uh, level of depth. Yeah. And we can uh, we can even predict, for example, what kind of lithology is more affected by erosion and elements. So obviously there was someone else who did... Uh... Uh, take pictures of that site before and then you compare that with the current uh, yes this is one one part of my project as well just yeah. to see how how fast the erosion and what type of physiology is the most affected yeah for sure uh, where have you traveled for your career do you have a favorite destination when it comes to fossils and uh why oh hard well, you'll be traveling pretty soon because we have a museum traveler coming up soon. Uh, but besides that, I think I really love Utah, and uh, most of people who are following and know me probably think that I live in Utah because I am doing a lot of studies there. <laughs> uh, I love the Moab area. There are a lot of pretty good track sites. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm biased. Yeah, but there was also uh, a lot of body fossils. So the Morris information is home for Diplodocus and Allosaurus. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And did you find all this in Utah? Yes. Uh, the track sites, correct? You said? Yep. 
Yep. Oh, wow. There are a lot of track sites. Uh, some of the track sites, I would say there's a um, migration pass of 20 miles. So probably herds of sauropods were traveling along. Wow. That is amazing. And it is, is amazing. it is still preserved. It is preserved, yes. But uh, my fear is we, we can't remove all the elements. We can't put a tent or like any roof. So we can't just like preserve it from... Uh, water and uh, snow and wind so it is eroding how how uh, far are the um the tracks like do they keep going or uh so the longest side as far as i know is 20 miles wow which is unbelievable right yeah. uh there is a huge site it's called the mega track site trackways and it goes pretty much to new mexico from Utah. Yes. Wow. That is amazing. Like That is unbelievable. Yeah. I, yeah, that's uh, really interesting. So from Utah to to Mexico, you said? To New Mexico, yeah. To New Mexico. Wow. And Texas. And Texas. So obviously we know there's a there is a um uh there is record of mass migration uh during that yes. time. Yeah, yeah, so we can speculate that probably it was a seasonal migration. For food, water. Yeah, Could probably, be. or nesting. Nesting, breeding. yeah, yeah. Just like uh, mammals today, I mean, there's always birds. mass. Birds, yeah, for sure. Um, they they do migrate uh, for food, water, nesting. And um, and I was watching this show on... Um, uh, on Netflix called uh, is David added Attenborough's um, mass migration mm -hmm. program. And uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the most uh, important uh, things that occur uh, <laughs> uh, in earth, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, animals moving from one uh, place to another. And uh, obviously this is, uh, this also happened in the time of dinosaurs um, when, uh, you know, we, they're moving from one place to another place. Um and in search of food and i think that's the same with uh um with what they have today going on uh, so it's a historic event that is repeating itself uh that's very interesting um now who was the first paleontologist uh, you met and can you tell me how was the interaction i'm just very uh curious to know uh, i met a lot of paleontologists on social media and most of my interactions were online so I was asking a lot of questions. Um, the first field trip, field work I had was with Dr. Paul, Paul Murphy. It was in September, one year ago. And starting from last September, I was doing field works pretty much every month. What kind of questions did you ask? Um, everything that I can't get from the books. So the field experience, the practice, um, when you read something, you have uh, an assumption in your head, but when you go to the field, it's like brand new um, brain and you have nothing to uh, compare with the pictures of the book. And sometimes you just learning everything from scratch. Yeah. So nothing can replace the field experience, I would say. Yeah. Uh, why do you think uh, prehistorics are uh, prehistoric animals are so important uh, to us today? 
probably by learning the prehistoric animals, we can uh, learn a lot about where we are going. Hmm. Uh, for example, this summer we were working on an NSF uh, grant project that studies uh, the extinction that occurred pretty recently, just uh, 55 million years ago. Uh, the results, I would say, just to compare the data, uh, shows that the rate of the climate change and the trap temperature rise right now is much higher. Than compared to before. Compared to before, yes. This is very concerning, I would say. Wow. Yeah, so we have to do the changes to stop that. Do you think uh, there are uh, changes being made? Oh, well, I hope so, but I don't see it. Yeah. I believe the changes should be done at the um, government level because you can't push the corporations to stop the pollution if it's yeah. legal. So they will do everything that is legal. If the government will just push uh, all the big factories to stop using uh, certain types of chemicals, I hope it will it will help to slow down. I don't know if it's possible to reverse, but at least we need some time to just think about measures. Yeah, we uh, we're obviously headed there. Um, you know, I feel I feel bad uh, just because uh, we are use, using this for our, our own selfish uh, needs here. Um, you know, um, oceans, for example. Um, there's always uh, garbage thrown in the oceans. Um, you can always see videos of animals being caught uh, in. Uh, plastic debris and uh, you know uh, a lot mm -hmm. of stuff and then there are people trying to rescue these animals uh, turtles for example there <laughs> i saw this one video of this turtle uh, got caught in a uh, fishing uh, net uh, that was left in the ocean or plastic uh, that was uh, just tied around its body and uh, and uh, obviously, uh, the uh, the industries, like you mentioned, um, are mm -hmm. polluting uh, the environment, which affects the animals. Um, at the rate of uh, you know uh, the uh, rate of pollution has increased significantly over the years, um, mm -hmm. especially now where we're where we're going. Um, and I was uh, looking at uh, some of the data presented uh, on the internet about whales, about mammals like that. And uh, whales are, you know, uh, obviously declining um, in population because mm -hmm. of that. Uh, sharks, for example, sharks uh, are being uh, hunted down for their fins and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, thing about climate. Uh, you know, I was uh, here in Canada. We have uh, uh, a place called, uh, uh, I, I keep forgetting about this place, uh, but it, it is in Saskatchewan, um, mm -hmm. uh, polar, uh, where polar bears uh, actually live. And uh, they, yes, it, no, it's not uh, Saskatchewan. I think it's uh, Churchill, Manitoba. Um, mm -hmm. there, it's up way up north. And scientists, uh, you know, there's uh, these polar bears uh, migrate uh, uh, d during uh, during the winter uh, because the uh, the rate of ice that is uh, disappearing is really very fast. So they, so they have to keep moving outside of uh, Church of Manitoba, which is uh, really alarming. 
And uh, I'm not sure how the polar bears are going to survive in the next few years and, uh, you know, who's looking into that. But uh, let's hope something good happens about that. Um, what's the most interesting um, dinosaur fossil you've ever found? Um, so for me, the most interesting probably with tracks. Uh, I found, which is, I assume, was a Dilophosaurus track, uh, which did step on a plant material and the boss did preserve. Okay. So this is a crushed seeds and plants and uh, a pretty nicely preserved Dilophosaurus track. Yeah. Uh, refresh my memory again. Uh, Dilophosaurus, uh, what is it a plant eating or meat eating? No, Dilophosaurus was an apex predator. Apex uh, predator. Okay. Early, early Jurassic. So probably you watched the Jurassic Park. Do you remember this uh, double crested creature? Yes. Pretty small, which like had a free speed, speed venom, which yeah. is like nothing in reality. Yeah, but this is the Where did you find the track? In Arizona. And oh, it wow. was just just like totally accidentally. Another nice track, probably of Delophosaurus as well, I found in um, in Utah. It's all also late Triassic, early Jurassic. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. So, did yeah. you? Uh, what did you do when you found the track? Uh, so the track in Utah is now at the museum Moab Giants. So we were prospecting the formation under the permit with Martin Lockley, and everything can be collected and curated at the museum, of course. Interesting. Um, can you tell me, um, I know we, we talked uh, briefly about photogrammetry. Um, can you tell us and uh, can you tell me and the audience who don't know uh, mm -hmm. a little bit about uh, photogrammetry? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I take uh, a lot of photos um, with a big overlaps. So I'm slowly moving from, from like 30 centimeters left up and down. So I'm taking a lot of photos and then I'm uh, aligning all the dots and points in this uh, specialized software to make a 3D model of that. Mm. Okay. Um, and you compare these photos together and uh, and you make a 3D model through, mm -hmm. how do you make the 3D model? Uh, there are a lot of steps in the process, like 100 steps of instructions. Oh. Uh, for So every photo you take, it has, um, depending on like my settings, for example, I'm using 100,000 points. Hmm. So software on every single photo photograph uh, yeah. recognizes 100,000 photos on every single photo. Yeah. And then it aligns to have the matching points, for example, uh, this point on this photo is the same point on that photo. Hmm. This is the process of aligning all the photographs together. Then I'm building the mesh. Yeah, yeah. Yes, on top of that, um, uh, since I'm doing it with a camera, camera has some uh, physical qualities uh, and I have to go through the error corrections. Hmm. 
because the lenses they have uh, the, the curves and um, what you take the photos it's not really what you see and what is um, the real depths and the structures of the fossil track yeah yeah for sure um is this a is this the most efficient way to uh... this is the most efficient way yeah there are a lot of ways how to, to to do that you can for example do it the old school way you can have the um plaster and you can just pour and then dry and have the cast of the yeah. footprint yeah uh yeah but um so what what is like their cons and pros so to have the cast is um you don't need to, to have the software and all the knowledge how to do photogrammetry properly. You don't need to worry about the camera calibration and the error reductions and building all the smash and all of that. Um, but you can't reproduce the cast easily and spread it around the globe just to everybody have to take a look and compare their, for example, Delophosaurus tracks on the east side or in the um, west side in Utah. So, I mean, uh, with digitalizing, you can efficiently share and have analysis around the globe yeah that's an interesting way of um uh, you know um researching uh through track uh through casting i believe uh, and how how old is this technology that we're using right now it's very old photogrammetry so, su- yeah surprisingly it it's probably for 70 80 years already so we have better cameras, we have better software. So we we have um, a lot of practice and experience. So right now we can say about the best practices, how to do photogrammetry. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And uh, with, the, with the photos that we take, um, is there a team of people that you work with or do you sit down by yourself and you analyze? Um, mm. So that's uh, that's a great question. Uh, I work with uh, the team, for example, uh, since you mentioned David Edinburgh, I worked at the site he visited 30 years ago in um, Utah. It was near Moab. I was working there with Dr. Martin Lockley and Nora Novke. So they were studying the tracks and making the notes, and I was doing the photogrammetry for them. Mm, cool. And you work with these people, and uh, you mm-hmm. sit down with them later on to analyze where what uh, the age is and you know how fast it is eroding and all that uh the ages are already determined but yes so we are looking into uh the level of erosion so we were comparing the results um might locally explored the site i believe 20 years ago and 30 years ago wow that's uh that's amazing how do you uh, know the age right uh, right away uh, so we know the age of the formation and we see that the formation goes, for example, so this is totally the same rocks as over there. Oh. There are a lot, a lot of ways how to determine the age uh, if you don't know the formation, for example. Mm. So you can use the isotope, you can do the uh, index fossils, for example. Index fossils, there are species that lived during very geologically short time. So, for example, if you see the fossil of this particular shell and you know that it was just from, for example, 150 million years to 152 million years, so you know exactly. Yeah, 
that's uh that's amazing to even uh look at uh it that way with uh and determine how old the the fossils are um mm-hmm. and uh you know for example uh if you find a fossil you determine right there and then that this is uh this much million years old and uh it's very interesting um do you, when you work with a team um and you uh, how do you come up uh, how how do you choose your team and or do you have a team that is already there with you uh so usually i i work with um specialist scientists who studied track sites so my pleasure is to do photogrammetry and complement their studies with my st- my research that's very interesting do you have uh, do you always have those uh, um people when you are uh, in the field uh not not always so uh there are quite a lot of times when i'm just ex- exploring by myself and yeah. i'm prospecting and looking for new fossils or new track sites very interesting uh all right uh can you tell me some of the best places in the world uh, to collect uh, dinosaur fossils uh, where what do you do uh with your findings um so if you're talking about the dinosaur fossils in particular probably Montana South Dakota are really great places uh, the Hell Creek formation where all the tyrannosaurus and triceratops oh. wow yeah. yeah but again so you can't collect it legally unless you have a permit to do that are there more tyrannosaurus uh, fossils out there um well all vertebrate fossils are quite rare so if comparing for example to um invertebrates vertebrate fossils are rare yeah. so i can't say that a lot of tyrannosaurus rex especially complete yeah um i know a lot he- of material yeah i know uh here in in alberta there was a um there were few uh prehistoric carnivores like the albertosaurus and uh mm-hmm. um, uh, other uh, species uh, out mm-hmm. here just because of the landscape um i visited the the, uh, the museum in Sask- uh, saskatchewan i think this was in regina and uh they said uh this uh, tyrannosaurus rex uh the head itself was huge massive uh but comparing to sue um this is not as complete as sue um and i think this was 80 70 to 80% complete uh and they did comp- uh, come up with the name of this uh, dinosaur called stan mm-hmm. um and uh, 80% of this uh, t-rex is complete uh and they found it here in alberta uh which is uh, amazing um have you when you look at the these creature uh, these uh, prehistoric creatures like the tyrannosaurus apex credit uh, uh creatures um how hard is it to find these you know these fossils is is a location determined to um uh, yeah so um it's it's quite rare to find a complete fossil uh, i think five or six years ago um a group of paleontologists and volunteers found the most complete tyrannosaurus rex skull tough slough and by the way it's in washington state right now it's on display at the Burke museum 
It's, I believe, 99 or 98% complete. It was a juvenile Tyrannosaurus Rex. So it is more complete than Sue? Uh, it's, it's a skull. Okay, just so a skull. If it, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not only the skull, but the skull is the most complete. Wow. What, they couldn't find the rest of the body or just the skull? Uh, they, they found, but the skeleton is not complete, as, for example, the Sue. Oh, yeah. And for the audience there, where did they find Sue exactly? Um, I don't know the exact locality. I believe yeah. it was on a private land, so maybe we can ask Larson about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I, I was watching one of the episodes, and then, and, and uh, yeah, it's just amazing that they found something, you know, that has been well preserved for so many years. Um, and uh, Sue, of course, is. Uh, named after the paleontologist who found uh, uh, mm -hmm. the, the Tyrannosaurus uh, Rex. Um, and I don't know, have you seen the, uh, the life-size model after that? I did. So uh, I saw the replica, the cast yeah. of that at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. It was enormous. Is it uh, really big? It's, it is huge. Huge, okay. And that's the exact replica of Sue? Yep. Oh, wow. And where is it again? Uh, it was on display. It was a travel exhibit. So it was on display at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. I, I yeah. believe it's already not on display. So it moved somewhere. Yeah. I hope to visit the Field Museum in Chicago. So yeah, it is It is an unbelievable specimen. The Field Museum is where um, Sue is located, correct? Yeah. 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 I believe uh, Sue was uh, auctioned uh, before it was sold to... Um, the museum in Chicago. It could be wrong, but I, I just read yes, the facts. Yes, it was I believe um, one of the IT corporations, maybe I'm mistaken, I think Microsoft yeah. purchased the shoe and then they just donated. That's amazing, yeah. I think this is how all the fossils should be purchased. Yeah, for donated. sure. That's amazing. Um, can you tell me, why did um, dinosaurs become so large? Um, and what was the main reason for that? Uh, again, the climate, the environment. So the level of the oxygen was much higher and the climate was also much warmer than today. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Washington up to Canada, we had um, crocodiles and we have palm farm trees. So it's very different climate and of course the vegetation was abundant there were a lot of food sources it allowed herbivores to grow in sizes because it, simply there was so much food and also to explore new niches like the treetops and with the rays of um, herbivores of course the predators the carnivores also increased in sizes so because the oxygen level was so much uh, compared to what we have today mm -hmm. is um and th these animals were massive is is that also one of the reasons you mentioned yeah so um the race in oxygen the oxygen level was higher and the climate was much warmer what happens when there's uh, a surplus of oxygen what happens to that to the environment um so you mean when, when we are raising the level of oxygen or yeah. decreasing? Uh, raising. raising, yeah, when there's, yeah. 
um, I believe there are a couple studies. So, for example, if uh, the level of oxygen will raise right now, uh, a lot of animals will have trouble breathing because we are not adapted to that. Uh, probably uh, new species of um, plants will evolve with mm. a higher level of oxygen and new species of herbivores and carnivores. But the current animals, they would be hardly adapted. So with the current species here, do you think they will all die like that if if the oxygen level was too high oh yeah absolutely and we, uh, and people if, won't be able to press yeah breathe yeah and with the uh, what are we how is the oxygen level now compared to how it was before um so there are some controversial studies uh, most of the studies say that um, the level during the time of the dinosaurs were higher a uh, couple months ago, I read a study that it was opposite, so it was lower. So we don't know yet how the oxygen uh, level was uh, compared to present so day. As, yes, as always, there are um, controversial studies and theories. Yeah, 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 not for sure. Um, I personally think it was higher. It was higher, yeah. Um, why? How? How do? How did scientists discover that modern birds are actually dinosaurs? Uh, what evidence? I know. Uh, what evidence do we have? Oh, that's also a great question. One of my parents I just had the paleontology class for kids um, for the last two weeks, and we went outside and we saw a blue jay, and a blue jay lost a feather. So I just took it from the floor and like, guys, we have the dinosaur feather. And everybody was like, no way, birds are not dinosaurs. Yes, they are dinosaurs. They're not only descended, they are dinosaurs. So we think that all the birds belong to the theropod group of animals. Uh, it was obvious for decades. Why was it controversial? Um, because of two simple reasons. The first is feathers. And the second is this um, fused clavicle, the wishbone. So we have this fused clavicle um, furcula in birds, in modern birds, but we couldn't find that for a lot of years in theropods. Finally, we did. Uh, so another reason is um, feathers. Feathers were found like 100% for sure in 1993, I believe, in China. It was Cyanoropteryx. Uh, so in China, fossils and um, Theropods are preserved with soft tissues. For some, we can even see the color of the feathers. And I believe uh, Phil Kiri, Professor Phil Kiri, traveled to China, and when he saw this Cyanoropteryx for the first time, it was just, wow, this is the biggest discovery we've made in the 20th century. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Um, because I always thought that the reptiles were very close to dinosaurs. Um, oh, they are reptiles. Birds are reptiles too. Um, and then if you look at, because, uh, you know, the way I've seen crocodiles, like crocodiles, I, I don't know how these guys survived um, because obviously um, they adapted over the years. Um, and uh, I think the modern day dinosaurs are very close to crocodiles. Um, you know, I don't know, I could be wrong, but birds, yeah, birds are, have cl 
closed to crocodiles. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, when you look at the anatomy of a crocodile and look at its jaws, and I would say that is as close to what we had as uh, maybe a Tyrannosaurus uh, could, could be, you know, the jaw structure could be as close to a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, but obviously I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, and then when you look at iguanas and if you look at uh, these uh, monitor lizards and, uh, um, you, you know, um, they all look very similar to a dinosaur. What do you think? What is What are your views on that? So we really don't know how they looked, right? So when we are comparing the dinosaurs in... Um, so let's make a step back, right? So uh, they're all uh, archosaurs, the same family. And they evolved during the same period so in the middle Triassic, all, all the all the groups, uh, we we can compare, for example, our region. If you're talking about the skin of the Tyrannosaurus rex, so we can definitely compare it to the modern day birds. We can compare it to modern day reptiles, including crocodilians. But how they really looked, we we have no idea. Yeah, which is my another question. Which is the other question I had. Do you think? Uh, um, you know, these uh, dinosaurs, um, were they exactly, did they look the same as the skin color as we have today, like in crocodiles and iguanas? Um, I know this is very hard for you to answer. We don't know, maybe. I think it's hard to answer for everybody because the soft tissue, um, I mean, we don't know the color of the skin or the scales. What about Ankylosaurus? They did find uh, um, one yes. well-preserved Ankylosaurus. Yes, not a source, yeah. In and, Canada, by the way. Yeah, and uh, they it is very, very well-preserved and very, uh, I don't know where it is. Uh, gosh, I'd love to see it. Um, and, you know, the round scales on it, mm -hmm. it's almost like, a, I don't know, like a crocodile or something. It has round scales, more more similar to reptiles that we see mm -hmm. today, and I was you know blown by that. But um, it, yeah, so if we're talking about the Tyrannosaurus Rex, it was a theropod. So we um, might think about like if you had feathers for display, yeah, or sexual dimorphism, right? So when we're talking about um, ankylosaurs, it um, I don't think it was feathered. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. How many types of tyrannosaur tyrannosaurs are there? And was the ecology very different than we, what we have today? Uh, so the whole family evolved in Asia and then moved their way to the North America. There are a lot of animals which are considered tyrannosaurids. Uh, just recently, I got a couple, uh, I did uh, posts about Tyrannosaurus Rex, and I got a couple of questions. No way, there were more than one Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, there were like Gorgosaurus, Albertosaurus. There were many different species, like in uh, Mongolia, we have Tarbosaurus. So there were quite quite a lot of different animals. But what is um, similar, uh, one common trace, I would say, they all were apex predators. Yeah. 
um, was the college uh, was the ecology a little bit different than what we have today? Oh yeah, it was quite different. Yeah, so it was much warmer. Uh, the Cretaceous, the late Cretaceous, um, I would say that uh, there were less land mass than we have today. Um, yeah, the pilot environment was uh, warmer, uh, more humid. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so altogether, there is there is a whole group of different species in the Tyrannosaurus family. There's not one. Um, yeah, so we can name a couple genus. Yes, a lot of species. Yeah. What about Gigantosaurus? Yes. Is that the same uh, family? No. It's a different family. Yeah. Spinosaurus. Yeah, we have Gorg Gorgosaurus in Tyrannosaurus family. Spinosaurus is quite different. Yeah. Do you think Spinosaurus was uh, mostly adapted to land or mostly close to the pond? Um, that is highly debated. So honestly, I read a couple of studies about the isotope, oxygen isotope in the bones and the comparison between, for example, the terrestrial animals and uh, aquatic animals. So based on that study, uh, it's more closely related to, I would say, like semi-aquatic animals. Hmm. So we, we, we don't know. So probably the, um, so we found the um, tail, which looked like a paddle. Right, so uh, scientists assume that this tail was used to dive and like propel itself. You know, I found I saw this video. Uh, they found uh, one uh, one fossil of a spinosaurus, and I think this was in Argentina. I could be wrong. Uh, there was one guy um, who is a paleontologist. He found this fossil in Argentina of a complete uh, skeleton of a, a spinosaurus. Um, which is largely, and he came up, he told that, that uh, these animals were very, um, uh, you know, very closely, they hung out uh, around ponds, rivers, you know, and they were very aquatic. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, but uh, I don't, it, it, there is, as of now, there is no evidence that these animals were really aquatic or not. Is that correct? Uh, so I, honestly, I have no idea about the Spinosaurus from South America. I read only the studies based on the finds in Africa. Mm. Yeah, so I, I I will take a look. Yeah, there. The, the, I don't know how they found this fossil. Finding this fossil uh, was actually they came up because uh, they found this fossil, and then it was actually re lost. And then they found some people, uh, you know, there was uh, some people uh, found the fossil again. And uh, they they came up with the whole skeleton of a Spinosaurus. And uh, because this is uh, uh, much larger than what we, uh, uh, we can imagine, Spinosaurus. Um, yeah, it was the biggest theropod, yeah. It was yeah. Um, and then... Uh, I don't know uh, how they found this uh, fossil. I don't know where we could see the fossil, um, but I should, uh, you know, maybe I should check out some of the websites and see where we could actually find Spinosaurus uh, skeleton or something like that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm aware only about the studies and finds from Africa. Yeah. Have you researched a lot uh, about uh, um, 
about Tyrannosaurus, Allosaurus, have you have you done any findings or have you come across uh, people who have done findings? And what I, was your I experience? I talk to paleontologists uh, pretty much every day. So yeah, I meet a lot of scientists who are doing something different than track sites. Um, regarding Spinosaurus, um, I recently talked to Matthew Mesbracker. So he shared his vision on these animals. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk, uh, Alina, let's talk about the timeline of the dinosaurs, the Triassic, the late Jurassic, and uh, the Cretaceous and the late Cretaceous period. Um, I think this is very important, but what single, what led to, uh, what exactly led to the mass extinction? Uh, you mean in the late uh, Cretaceous? Yes, exactly. Um, well, poor dinosaurs faced a couple extinction events, so... I'm going to say, uh, so, sorry, um, people say there was an asteroid. Uh, if we are talking about the late Cretaceous, yeah. yes. So okay. there was an asteroid, yes, absolutely, no doubt. And it was a huge impact and it definitely um, affected all the living uh, organisms, including the dinosaurs and all non-even dinosaurs went extinct during this time. Uh, if, if we can... Um, Speculate, I probably think that was a series of events. So it was severe and quite uh, elongated in uh, time volcanic activities. So probably it was, um, um, it was affecting the climate and the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, uh, plus the asteroid just finish the process or of, of course i i don't know if we will ever find out if it's just like one single event the asteroid or it's a combination but i believe this is just a series of events um quite recently there was a paper quite interesting as well um i said interesting three times um so the paper re revealed um the numbers of uh, dinosaur species were decreasing quite before the asteroid event so what led to this decrease in numbers, probably the climate change. So um, the plants um, were not so abundant and uh, there were not enough food sources for herbivores. Uh, we see decline in triceratops and hadrosaurs. So ceratopsians and hadrosaurs were decreasing in uh, numbers dramatically. And of course the uh, carnivorous dinosaurs as well. I think it was an unfortunate series of events. I completely agree. Uh, I don't think uh, uh, for the people who are wanting to argue with me, they can. <laughs> but I don't think it is a one single event. It is a it is a mass, uh, you know, uh, ev chain of events that occurred uh, for mm -hmm. the extinction. Um, and I don't think just the asteroid could have wiped out all the dinosaurs. Climate change, for sure, 100%, could be one of the factors. Uh, lack of not food resources, uh, the mm -hmm. environment changing, for sure, um, could yeah. be also another um, event uh, that it was very hard for these animals uh, to, um, to find food, and thus they had to migrate from one place to another place to find food. And then, you know, uh, while they were migrating, uh, some of them died because of the weather and it was just uh, climate being so harsh and um, 
you know, it, it just led to uh, extinction of these animals. And it is obviously very, sh- I'm very sure that it is a, a chain of events that occurred over over a period of time. And then lastly, um, the asteroid. I'm not sure about the asteroid, but uh, how, yes, there is, they, they do say there was an asteroid and there's a crater uh, out uh, somewhere in South America that... Uh, in North has, America, uh, Mexico, yeah. Yeah, uh, where they have that crater, um, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. But I think it is uh, obviously a chain of events, and we can see the chain of events happening right now here, and we can see animals uh, disappearing. Uh, for example, there are a few, and there you know there are a lot of human efforts being made to save animals. Um, uh, so, for example, uh, mammals like. Uh, uh, carnivore mammals like tigers. Uh, tigers are mm-hmm. uh, at one point, uh, uh, you know, they were uh, uh, only uh, Indian Indian tigers in Asia are um, were almost, uh, um, you know, they were their numbers were really low. Um, mm-hmm. And when I saw say say low, it's more like vulnerable, um, closer to extinction. And uh, thanks to the government, they realized, well, we need to do something. And there's around three four thousand now right now. You know, we also see, like you mentioned, you 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 saw tracks. Uh, you see you see track sites of these animals uh, always migrating. Obviously, they're migrating for food or even something that they need, like nesting and all those sites. And some of them could have died of natural causes and um, climate. And this could have been a chain of events for sure. Yeah, but asteroid definitely contributed to that. The nuclear winter and um, acid rains. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes, lack of um, food resources. Yeah, yeah. What is uh, what is your favorite prehistoric animal, uh, and uh, why is it different? Uh, was it different when you were younger? Um, I when I was young, my favorite probably was a triceratops. I had a little like five centimeters model of the triceratops, and I was holding it like almost everywhere like I was telling you <laughs> that yeah so right now I can say that um I love tracks okay yeah so I if I can choose a couple prehistoric animals I would choose that troodon it's a really interesting theropod quite intelligent and um so the dinosaur's intelligence is another subject I'm really interested in uh Tyrannosaurus rex for sure it's probably like one of the most favorite dinosaurs, iconic dinosaurs of all. There are a lot of studies and we'll know a lot about it. Same as the Velociraptor. Yeah. Is it true Velociraptors were mostly in Asia or were they seen here? In Mongolia. Yeah, it was in Asia. In Asia. Yeah, um, we don't have Velociraptors fossils record here. Yeah. I saw, I don't know why they still portray the Velociraptor as a... Uh, you know, big um, six foot uh, uh, animal. I've seen, <laughs> I was in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, and I think if you ever get a chance, you should uh, visit too. Um, I'd love to. And, uh, you know, Edmonton has uh, a collection of these dinosaurs. And when I saw one of the fossils of Velociraptor, I was like, guys, you need to see what a, a Velociraptor looks like. It's not like how it is how it, it, it is portrayed in the movies. Um um, the movies, uh, they do you think the movies, um, you know, uh, 
portrayed the velociraptor correctly or oh of course not of I course mean, not. it was just one meter tall yeah. and two meters in length so in the movies you mean the jurassic Park yeah, all the right. Jurassic Park movies. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, yeah, so no, this is not the Velociraptor. The Velociraptor is known for its speed. It's known for its agility and uh, uh, hunting in packs. Um, do you think the Velociraptor? Mm, not really. Not true? But in the movies, it, it is like that, right? Yeah, in the movie. So probably it was a solitary predator, which are hunted during the night times. Uh, so we think that uh, anatomically the eyes were adapted to nocturnal hunting for velociraptors. And if we are uh, looking at the paleo environment, so I see this velociraptor as a tiger. Oh, wow. So it's, I, I think, taking all their um, food sources, uh, climate and all of this, um, probably it was a solitary predator rather than a pack hunter. Mm, interesting. Dinonychus in North America. So we have a couple evidences of um, all the tracks of of this uh, theropods together. So if it can lead to an assumption that probably they hunted the packs, but we can't say for sure. So we have um, a site with a group of uh, animals of different ages together. It can also uh, lead to an assumption that probably they were living or hunting together yeah. as well. For velociraptors, he's like a tiger. Yeah, I was, uh, I, you know, I saw these, uh, I saw this velociraptor in the in the museum. I was like, uh, this is what it looks like in reality. I was pretty shocked, actually. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, these guys fooled me pretty well. Um, also saw some good uh, ones here. Um, I can't wait to go to the, I've never been to the Royal Tyrell Museum here Um uh, in Alberta, uh, I've never been there. Although it's uh, an hour away from me, <laughs> I've never been there. No I'd way. like to. Yeah, it's very close to me. And uh, also uh, the Dinosaur Provincial Park, uh, pretty close to where I am. Um, you can find a lot of uh, tracks and uh, fossil bones there. I got so many chances, never got to visit. And uh, I, yeah, it's interesting. And I think when I when I look back. I think when I look at the environment, because Alberta is pretty flat and you can see when I envision Alberta, uh, the landscape, I can see, I can for sure tell you, yeah, there was like, you know, uh, there were a group of animals here, like uh, prehistoric animals, like the Alberta source or um, any, any other, what's a vegetarian dinosaur, pretty, pretty common um, dinosaur here that they found, hardosaurus, yeah, for example, uh, they found a lot of those here. And um, have you ever visited uh, the museums here or have you been to Alberta? Unfortunately, I have not. And I really, so the Dinosaur Provincial Park is my dream locality, so I really want to visit. Yeah, for sure. Um, is it possible? And I, I've, I've always had this question in my mind. Maybe you can answer. Is it possible to clone dinosaurs with modern science and technology? Um. Well, so technologically, we are a little bit far from that. Um, there are some studies that prove in five, 10 years, we'll have a real dinosaur, or probably you heard about the Chickenosaurus project by Jack Horner. Yeah. Uh, they are working with... I, uh, I didn't hear about that. Could you tell me? Uh, so they work with uh, chicken embryos. And they are trying just to um, modify the genes 
Okay. And um, just push ahead the traces of um, the old non-Evan dinosaurs ahead, mm. which is technically is not a real dinosaur, but it's like a mutated version of a chicken. When you say non-avian... Uh, non-avian, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's like dinosaurs that wiped 66 million years ago. So this was before? Um, before the asteroid. Asteroid, okay. Um, are they working on that right now? Yes, they, they do. Wow, that's interesting. Um, and uh, why, why do they want to do that? Why do they want to raise something? I think scientists always try and experiment... So I'm joking that we have five movies to prove it's a bad idea. Yeah, for sure. My next question is probably interesting to you. There are some uh, really good dinosaur movies out there, uh, like Land Before Time, uh, Jurassic Park series, Walking with Dinosaurs, and King Kong. Did you have any favorite shows or movies that fueled your passion in uh, paleontology or Something I was like definitely that? watching all of those. The Land Before Time was one of my favorites. Uh, the Jurassic Parks and World, yeah. I'm really, really waiting for the next Jurassic World. I think it will be epic. Yeah. Do you have an, uh, a favorite uh, uh, dinosaur in that movie? All of them. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah, they all look very nice. Mm -hmm. um, what is your favorite museum, Alina, and why? Oh my god! Or where is, should I rephrase that? Where is your favorite museum and why? So one of my favorite museums is uh, Morrison Museum of Natural History. It's uh, in Colorado, in Morrison. Uh, what I love about this museum, it's, um, it's not a big one, uh, but you can touch and uh, just rotate and probably like explore every single exhibit and display, which is very unusual, I would say. Uh, also, there is always a tour guide who can answer all the questions. Wow. And there is always a group of people um, just roaming around and they're curious about the Ice Age, the Cretaceans and the Jurassic of the Colorado area. Mm. Um, sorry, and where is this located? Uh, so the Morrison uh, is 30 minutes from Denver. Mm -hmm. And it's very close to also the Dinosaur Ridge, which is an absolutely wonderful and interesting, amazing place with tons of track, track sites on a wall so you could just explore. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing to see those track sites on a wall. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, they are colored. So all the track sites are visibly just like they are colored in black. So are those real track sites or just... Uh, yes, yes, they yeah. are they're real. Wow, that's interesting. Um, how accurate are the dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park movies we see? Yeah, so we just discussed the Velociraptor. That was definitely not a Velociraptor. I believe they just decided to pick this name because it's more appealing. Um, also, Dilophosaurus. In reality, it was much taller. We have no idea about the frill, so it was totally made up. The same, um, the Venom. So we don't have any signs, any fossil record that these uh, dinosaurs had any signs of um, traces of venom. Yeah. What do you think of the Tyrannosaurus? Um, How accurate uh, is that? Um, so we, we, we can 
speculate about the speed. We can speculate about the voice. Um, probably that was definitely not how it sounded. It was more like roaring on the low, um, um, I, I don't know. Everything is speculations. So we, we have the skeleton, we have uh, the posture, we have um, an understanding how this animal uh, like looked inside, but we have no idea about the skin, the feathers, um, the voice or the speed. So there are a bunch of studies that are telling it was a fast runners and tons of studies. It was um, like, you can just like outrun the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Which was actually my next question. I know um, there's a lot of speculation about this and you probably must have talked uh, about this. Uh, uh, on one of your posts, you did mention about uh, the, uh, I'm not sure, but uh, you talked about uh, did the Tyrannosaurus Rex have feathers um which is very speculative and you must have got so many questions about this oh i did um can you can you uh, explain or can you tell me a little bit about that uh so first of all we have a couple of uh, skin specimens from the health information so we can say that uh, on this specimens we don't have any signs of feathers uh, also looking at another tyrannosaurids like um, Tarbosaurus or Gergosaurus, we don't have any signs of feathers. Does it mean that it was completely scaly, no feathers? No. First of all, different types of, uh, for example, scales and feathers can coexist. And not all formations uh, produce soft tissues. So even if feathers were there, they simply just didn't fossilize. So we don't know. Okay, that's a that's a good analogy. Um, so we don't know if you know these animals were feathered. In a nutshell, do you think uh, they ran as fast as forty kilometers per hour? Um, forty kilometers, I doubt. Um, I, I like the study. Um, I mean, there are so many, 5, 15, 25, 40, like, you, you, you never know. I mean, that's for something as huge as a T-Rex, as 40 kilometers, that's pretty fast. It is, um, it is very fast. Were, were they scavengers, do you think, or were they natural hunters? Um, I think they were opportunistic hunters. Like bears. Taken, like bears. Yes. No, bears are omnivores, so I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Dinosaurs, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I believe they were hunters and they were scavengers and all in between. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Um, There's a huge body mass and there are some signs that probably they were hunting in packs. There we, is we don't know that. Yes, but there are some, some studies that show that probably they were grouping together. Yeah. Um, with the, when they, when the, have they found, um, evidence that the Tyrannosaurus is actually, uh, the vocalization of a, of a Tyrannosaurus, uh, Tyrannosaurus is pretty different than what we have seen in the movies. Uh, we can speculate about that. So I really love the display, uh, 
at the field museum and the traveling exhibits at the Denver. So you can just like push the button and hear the roar of the oh, T-Rex. Really? Yeah, so it was like rumbling, low frequency. So this is how we think it probably sounded. Yeah, more like an alligator or a crocodile? Is that how close? Um, not really. Oh, I've never heard of it, but uh, I'd love to see. I'd love to hear about love to hear about the vocalization of a Tyrannosaurus. Um, and in terms of the behavior, um, were they mostly very... Um, now, they had to raise their young. Obviously, they had to breed, and they had to l- look for food constantly because... Uh, food supply obviously could have been um, one of the challenge for them. Uh, did, do you think they also migrated from one place to another place in search of food? Or, you know, when we see uh, natural predators these days, we see, the, uh, you know, they're always, um, they have their own uh, territory. They defend their territory and uh, they always are opportunistic. Uh, opportunists right they look for food like uh, lions mm-hmm. um, do you think that was the same case for the t-rex uh, we have no evidence fossil records for the migration of the tyrannosaurus rex we have uh, a lot of footprints um, but there is no immigration pattern we can say uh, what is interesting we have um, signs of brooding nesting behavior so of the tyrannosaurus mm-hmm yeah, so there were scratchers. The modern birds do that. So they're just scratching the ground when they yeah. uh, build a nest or trying to attract a mate. Yeah. So we have the signs for Tyrannosaurus rocks. Do we have? I believe unbelievable. Do we have tracks of Tyrannosaurus? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what about nesting sites? Have we found eggs? Um, I don't know exactly about the eggs, but we have the nesting sites, yes. So yeah. like I said, we have this scratching. So we have a couple of Tyrannosaurus Rex footprints nearby and this scratching patterns, which we can interpret only like this mating, brooding, nesting behavior. Mm. Uh, what was the nesting site like? What? How was the area? Uh, it was in Colorado. Yeah. Um, do you think the nesting site was... Uh, uh, very um how would you describe the area as uh so that particular area it was close to the dinosaur reach so Mm. it was a shallow maybe that is the reason why this um science was it uh, preserved was it very close to a pond was it close to a lake um more forested uh, area or it was uh, very close to Western Sea. Okay. Yeah, so we ran from Canada to United States during mm-hmm. the late Cretaceous. Uh, yeah, so it was a shore based on the ripple marks we see next mm. to those scratch marks. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, so with in terms of uh, the... the um, the, you know, we have evidence that uh, uh, the, I think the most accurate would be Sue, uh, which uh, where she is right now in Chicago, I believe. Um, we have evidence that these animals were huge, massive, um, and they, um, they were bipedal um, mm-hmm. and uh, they had short arms, uh, really short arms. I'm just curious, 
what did they use the what was the, the main primary purpose of those arms right those really small puny arms yeah so one of the series is uh, mating so okay. probably the male was holding a female yeah um this is probably the most accurate interpretation yeah and i've seen your post about uh now do you think they were the lip uh were they lipped or were they without lips um i think the truth is somewhere in between so, so i they don't were, think that the whole teeth were covered in lips were their teeth outside uh, outside uh, i think it was like half covered a lot of modern reptiles do have this kind of coverage the skin which like crocodiles like mm -hmm. crocodiles okay mm -hmm. so you could actually see their teeth out mm -hmm. wow yep that was a really mean creature it really looked so mean uh, for sure mm -hmm. um absolutely yeah and you you, you you said you saw a skull of the tyrannosaurus rex in one of the museums um yeah at the berk we have uh, the most complete tyrannosaurus rex skull it is 18 years old juvenile 18 years old juvenile and how long do they live? Um, we think about 30 years. So 18 year old, okay. And um, what did you find out about that juvenile? What else did you find about? I, I didn't study or read a lot of papers about this particular specimen. Um, I was just watching it being prepped for a couple of years because I'm local, so I was visiting this um, museum a lot. Uh, what I really love about it is you can definitely see all the um, vessels of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. You can see um, like how the muscles were attached. You can see the fused uh, jaws, like how massive and uh, powerful was the bite job force. Yeah, and that's only 18 years old. Gosh. Um, and yeah, so what uh, when they... Um, obviously the juveniles I think uh, what happened was uh, they were you know um, they were um, like birds uh, for example the birds uh, raise their young and then when we look at birds like the golden eagle or uh, any sort of eagle um, they they're also like they are very close to dinosaurs as well and they they raise their young and they teach it how to fly and they um, you know they leave them uh, was that the same case for dinosaurs, the, the, uh, for uh, the Tyrannosaurus or any other dinosaur, that they fed their young and once they grew up to be a certain age, they would leave them or something like um, that? We, or they would... we, we have some evidence, we have fossil records for particular groups. Uh, so, for example, we have some dinosaurs um, like Myasaur, uh, it was a huge nesting site, and there were uh, specimens of different ages together. Mm. Um, probably we can assume that they were living together. Probably they were raising their guns as a group, like a huge parental group. Uh, for some dinosaurs, we have evidences, for example, so we have a skeleton of an adult and a skeleton of juveniles and uh, small ones, hatchlings. So there are different ages um, on one locality which tells that probably they lived or traveled together was that the same case for diplodocus and uh, brontosaurus or sorry brontosaurus or that's a good question so probably 
probably I I personally have no idea, but probably not. Yeah. Do you think they I had have to imagine this massive animals traveling along with a, a well, I think hatchlings wouldn't survive without the adults. So probably it was their survival strategy just to follow the herd. But how would they yeah, they would uh, survive without the uh, the parents and how would they feed themselves? My you know, that's another mm-hmm. I, I just don't know, but for sure. because um, these animals were large, right? Really large. I don't know yes, how they comparison. Yeah, so it's it's like a, a couple's couple levels building and yeah. um yeah, so the apatosaurus was probably one meter tall. So in comparison to a huge building, um, I don't know how good were mothers were they taking care of their babies were they just noticing their babies were there i don't know yeah do you think uh it was the same as in because we have birds these days um it's uh survival of the fittest they get rid of the ones that they're not uh you know can survive i'm not sure with all of the birds but do you think that was the same for dinosaurs absolutely i think so yeah, we yeah. have a lot of signs that the life in Mesozoic era was pretty harsh. Almost all the bones, for example, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, we have uh, all the injuries. I yeah. even have the track site which shows um, the leaping behavior of the Allosaurus. So it was severely injured and it was just moving. Probably it was his last breath. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, what suggestions do you have for our audience or someone um, who would like uh, who would like to be a paleontologist? Read a lot of books. This is number one. So read as much and as possible. Also contact the local museum or local university with the paleontology or geological departments. Uh, make contacts. Uh, a lot of paleontologists need help to uh, process data or help during the field work and just be number one to raise their hands and help with as much as possible. Yeah. Volunteering uh, also is very important. All right. Yeah. Uh, do you plan on speaking on any events um, that may have been offered to you? Or if if so, could you share the details? Uh, yes. So my next will be on September 14th. I will be talking about the photogrammetry and my photogrammetry projects. Uh, we're showing some examples and presentations. It will be for uh, Paleontological Society in Arizona. And could you share the time with everyone? Uh, 7, 7 p.m. Arizona time. Arizona time. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can send you the details. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, for people um, who'd like to know more, um, please do um, look into that because you don't want to miss that for sure. And finally, for the listeners, um, how can anyone reach out to you or do you have any social media handles you'd like to share? Uh, yes, I do have my pretty active Instagram. Uh, it's Elena Skysale. I can send you the handle or probably you know that for sure. Uh, I have my paleontology blogs. Uh, it's paleontology.rocks. Um, so the new project, the startups is the museum traveler and you can reach out through all, all these three. Yeah. What, what is next for you, Alina? What do you plan to do in the next few um, years? In the next few years? Oh, I hope that um, the museum travel will go good. Uh, COVID 
have um, put some restrictions and issues for the international travel, but we hope to enroll as many local United States museums as possible, and hopefully we'll get to the Canada. It's very close, and I really want to visit Alberta. So hopefully for the next couple of years, we will be pretty busy filming and uh, doing the virtual museums. Yeah, yeah, it sounds exciting. Uh, with all the with museum travelers, especially, I'm I'm excited to to see what you guys put out there for the audience, and I'm sure you guys will do awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time, Alina, and it was oh, uh, you, it was uh, really exciting uh, uh, to talk to you. And I hope I get you again on the show. I'm sure there's so many other questions uh, our listeners have, and uh, they would like to uh, know about you, and I would like to know more about. Um, your findings, your research uh, more in depth uh, so we could uh, connect again maybe in the future. Um, thanks for uh, coming again and uh, I wish you all the very best for uh, for your work and uh, yeah, thank you. It was an honor to have you in the show. Oh, thank you so much, David. It was a huge pleasure. Thank you. Have a great uh, weekend. Thank you, you too.